Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. So grateful uh, for God moving upon uh, this church and His people tonight. And tonight we want to uh, look again into the book of Revelation. We've been moving through this incredible book a few verses at a time. And we want to continue tonight in the book of Revelation. We've made it to Revelation chapter 3 as we look at the next of the seven churches. Uh, If you've been here on these Sunday night services, then you will know that uh, the first chapter is mostly an introduction. Uh, to the book of Revelation. And starting with uh, chap- chapter 2 are a series of letters that Jesus has written uh, to the local seven churches there in Asia Minor, what we know today as Turkey. And uh, these seven churches, they go in order by a mail route that would have been common in those days, starting with uh, Ephesus, uh, going to Smyrna. Do we have that map available? Miss Amanda, uh, going to Pergamos, and, uh, and then um, uh, last week we looked at Thyatira, and uh, now today we come to the, the church in Sardis, and uh, this route that is being taken, one letter at a time being delivered, in a route that goes almost in a semi-circle, when we saw the church in Ephesus, we saw a careless church. They were a large church. They were active. They had been around for a long time. They had been well taught and weathered. They were doing a lot of great things for the Lord, but they had forgotten something very critical. They had forgotten their first love. And so while they were busy doing a lot of good things, they had not done the most important thing. We learned from the careless church that it is possible for us to do a lot of good things, but for the wrong reasons. We look secondly at the church in Smyrna. This church had faced great pressure and poverty. This church had faced great persecution. This is the only uh, one of seven churches that did not receive a rebuke or a correction from the Lord. Because even in their poverty, even in the pressure that they were under, even though they had been crushed in pain, they continued to live faithfully, and Jesus rewarded them. We looked then at the church in Pergamos. In Pergamos, we found a city where Satan had set up camp. Uh, there, was, uh, uh, there was a synagogue of Jews who were persecuting and coming against and lying about the church there in Pergamos. We learned that that Jesus saw what was going on there and that he began to, uh, to help them. Uh, they were compromising. And we want to make sure tonight that as Christians, we ought not to compromise. Last week, we looked at the church in Thyatira. And in uh, that scripture, the letter that Jesus wrote, we learned that this was a corrupt church. That there was a teacher, uh, the that is described in, uh, in Revelation as that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, teaching wickedness in the house of God, and they were allowing it to happen. Amen. And because of that, they had become corrupt. We learned that, yes, churches even today can become corrupt Amen. because of false teaching. And tonight, we want to look at the fifth city. It is the city called Sardis. And uh, tonight, I... I want you to see that this was a crippled church. 
crippled is uh, not a politically correct word. We want to say physically challenged. But in truth, this church had great purpose and great potential, but it was dying. Uh, Many of you, as you're reading this in your Bible, you will see a little title above chapter 3 that says, The Dead Church. And I want to help you tonight to see, to be able to identify a dead church. Um, Just because the church is meeting does not mean that it's alive. Just because the church has services on Sunday morning does not mean that it's alive. These people were having services. These people were doing things for God, but Jesus calls them a dead church. My prayer is that this church in Virginia Beach would not experience a similar fate. And so let's learn from this dead church in Revelation chapter 3. Let's read together. Beginning with Revelation 3, verse 1. And to the church, or to the angel of the church in Sardis, write these things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Did you hear that tonight? Be watchful, strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we come once again by the blood of Jesus, thanking you for your word. Thanking you for this book of Revelation, which has incredible insight and understanding for us, even here 2,000 years later. God, we're asking you, Lord, to uh, open our hearts and our minds to your word once again. Let Let us heed the warnings of Scripture, that this would be a church that is alive, that is thriving in your spirit, and God, that is avoiding the death of, uh, of mechanic Christianity. We're asking you to speak to us once again in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. Amen. Now, as I have done for each and every one of these cities so far, I want to give you a short history, an abbreviated history of the city of Sardis because it has to do with what was happening in the church there. Sardis was a, was a military center. The location where it was was on a plateau. And because of, its, uh, because of its location, it was a very easily guarded location. They were able to build walls. It was a high ground. And uh, in ancient warfare, if you had the high ground, it means that you had the victory. There was a fortress on top of a mountain. And then the city, as it began to grow, uh, could not be contained just by the plateau. So it spilled down into the valley below. The Acropolis that was there in the meeting place uh, was about 1,500 feet above the main roads. And because of that, it had been easy to defend. The city was the capital of the Lydians and was even the home of the emperor of that area. His name was Croesus, and he was reported to be one of the wealthiest men on the earth at that time. Now, later on, even though this had been a strong fortress, a military center, the, the, the city had been conquered at one time by Cyrus the Persian. And then only about 200 years before this letter was written, was captured by Alexander the Great and then by Antiochus the Great for the Romans. Now, uh, at the time of John's writing, the city is an old city, between seven to a thousand years old. But it had lost its once famous splendor. So imagine this. Here's a city who was known at one time for its strength. It was a center of military might. But because it had then been conquered three times in a row by the Persians, by the Greeks, and then by the Romans, 
it had lost its reputation for its strength. Now, the people who had overcome this city, first Cyrus and then Alexander and then Antiochus, all of these men, they made sure that there would not be a rebellion in this city. And there's a way that they did that. They disarmed all of the populace. They made sure to, to, uh, to, to take away all of the weapons that that place held. Aren't you glad for the Second Amendment? Uh, we can possess weapons in this nation. But here, uh, these people have been disarmed. No weapons were allowed. They also prohibited, made a law in the city limits that no one would even be able to wear hard shoes on their feet. So they took away even the very possibility that there would be a rebellious uprising. The, the people of this city for generations were only allowed to wear very soft leather sandals. He also ordered that the boys of Sardis, he targeted the young men, that they would never learn how to, uh, how to fight in warfare, but they were specially instructed in music, in song, and in dance. For generations, the boys could not learn any warfare. And so the, the result is that this city that had once been great, this city that had once had military might, had lost its spirit, had become defeated, had become a, a city of once great actors. And by the time John wrote this letter, the city was wealthy, but it was soft. I wonder if that describes any other cultures that we can think of today. Wealthy, but soft. And no doubt that the, if this is the, the environment that the church exists in, no doubt that that environment had an effect on the people of the church that Jesus Christ is, reading, is writing to. And so this is, gives you an idea of what the atmosphere, what is the culture, the climate uh, in the city of Sardis. There is such a thing tonight as life cycles within the church. Any church or any religious movement that has ever taken place generally follows this pattern. Listen to me carefully tonight. Normally, it starts with a man. It starts with a visionary leader that God has chosen to accomplish a God-given vision. Then, God will bless it, becomes a movement. As God blesses the ministry of this man, then the ministry be, then becomes a movement. At this stage, a church or an organization becomes nearly 100% committed to the cause. There are people who come to everything. The church is highly committed, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, outreach, concerts, Nearly every event, Bible studies in the home, outreaches from, from neighborhood to neighborhood, whatever the church is doing, almost 100% of the people are there. Once this phase passes, then it becomes a machine. At some point when the church is experiencing some kind of a success, there's a higher level of people attending services. And because of this size and because of the money that comes in, they can begin to do things that they could only dream about before. But somewhere along the way, the commitment level begins to dip. As people see that the church is doing well, the movement is accomplishing things, then people begin to be distracted by other things. There's still a vision. There's still a dream. But the intensity has begun to diminish. The focus begins to be lost after this phase of machine then a church can become a monument what is a monument a monument is a, is a statue of something that indicates that something great once happened here a congregation continues to do things but they begin to talk less about the future than they do about the past there's a point where the work to maintain the past reputation is more important than building on future success. Amen. A church and a movement begins to do things, not because it makes sense, 
but because it's just the way we've always done things. We begin to depend merely on the traditions of men rather than on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And at this stage, as a church becomes a monument, it is often cursed by power struggles. Not only that, but the commitment level dips even further where now it used to be everyone was involved. Now only a select few, 10 to 20%, are actually committed to the cause. And after the church passes through the monument phase, then the final drift, it becomes a mausoleum. It becomes a cemetery, a graveyard, a dead church. It becomes a shell of what it once was. You can travel across Europe and see today the shell, these incredible buildings, these cathedrals built when revival was breaking out in generations past. But today... The only gatherings inside those buildings are tourists taking pictures. A place where once worship was taking place daily, now is a spiritual cemetery. Attendance drops to bare minimum. New people, if they ever show up, are viewed with skepticism. They're not welcomed. You? Why would you come here? You don't belong here. You belong in a church that things are happening in. Another way that we could say this is that churches go from incline to recline to decline. This is not just true of churches. This is true of you as a believer, if you're not careful. There is a period in our lives, in our faith, where we are growing, where we are thriving, where we are in love with Jesus, and then we reach a pinnacle We reach a plateau of our spirituality, we max out, and we begin to coast. And we say, this is about as much as I'm going to do with my life. And from there, we begin to decline. The world becomes more interesting to us. We've gone from incline to recline to decline. And whether that is an individual or a church, this is a similar uh, pattern that is repeated again and again this is what has taken place in the church of sardis see no church starts out being dead just like a marriage right there are such things as dead marriages but no marriage starts out dead there's a reason why two people get together usually it's because they like each other a little bit at least right unless it's some kind of power struggle in uh you know in british politics or something But the reason why people get married, the reason why rings are exchanged is because people like each other. No marriage ever starts out dead, but marriages become dead because of time, because of mistakes, because hardness of hearts. The same is true of churches and movements and Christians. None of us get saved with the idea, hey, wouldn't it be nice in five or ten years to backslide and curse God and die? Nobody starts out like that. Nobody starts a church with the intent of, man, one day, wouldn't it be nice in 25 years if this church was so boring that everyone fell asleep in every single service? Wouldn't it be great that 30 years from now that this church couldn't pay its bills and would have to close? Is that how... A church begins? A church begins with fire, with expectation, with uh, revelation. But what we see in our scripture is a church that has gone through all of these phases. Started with a man, became a movement, at some point became a machine, a monument, and now this church in Sardis has become a mausoleum. And what we see here in verse One is something very powerful, something we can learn from tonight, something that we can apply to our lives. Jesus makes a statement to them. He says, he says, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. So the label that you have is not the same as reality. Your reputation is not real. Are you hearing me tonight? He's speaking to his church and he's speaking truth to them because he wants to break through. He's saying everyone says that you're alive. 
Everyone says the church in Sardis is doing something great. But the reality is different from the reputation. I'm glad that that never happens in 2019. Here's a church that considered itself and had a reputation for being alive and active, but the truth was they were dead and dying. They were on their last gasp of breath. Can we remember this, more, this evening that it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks? It's what God thinks that really matters. Let me ask you, does your reputation match reality? Does what you say about yourself match what God says about you? When you come to church and you say, hey, pastor, I'm a powerful man of God. See my tithe? Man, I got it. Everything's working out well. But is that the reality? When we call ourselves, uh, uh, yeah, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I've been a, I've been a believer. I've been sitting on the front row. Does that match reality? How about when you go home? I'm amazed when people go home how very often the reality of your life is very different from what you present. Jesus said, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. How does God describe your spiritual life? Is it different from how you describe it? (laughs) Because you might want to take into consideration that the only opinion that really matters here is God's opinion. You might have been able to fool yourself and others that there's something important happening in your spiritual life, but God is not fooled tonight. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Have you ever seen a tree that is about to die? You know, a tree that is dying is very interesting to me. A tree that is dying can still produce new branches, can still even produce leaves that grow each season. A dying tree could even have some signs of life producing a few fruits here or there. But at the same time, the power of death can be eating away at its root systems. And all that it takes to reveal a dying tree from a thriving tree is a little wind. And when that little wind begins to blow and the trunk begins to snap apart, all of the signs of life mean nothing because the inward, the truth of the matter is that for years there was sickness eating away at the inside. Jesus described the Pharisees in this way. He says, yeah, you guys you look good on the outside. Like whitewashed tombstones. It looks beautiful. It's pristine. Every nook and cranny has been scraped and flossed and polished and shined. But when you open it up, nothing but dead men's bones inside. I wonder, does that describe anybody here? Does that describe a church? There's a difference between a live church, a thriving church, and a dead church. You know, it's something amazing. Uh, as I was in there in Nigeria preaching uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, you know, something interesting was uh, I didn't preach seven new sermons that I came up with just for Nigeria. I preached exactly the same sermons that I've preached here in Virginia Beach. But I was amazed how the Spirit of God began to move in that church, began to move upon those people. How the Spirit of God was alive and thriving and that church was rocking and rolling. And it wasn't because Pastor Adam is any different here than he is in Nigeria. I'm still the same white dude, just on the other side of the world. It wasn't that my sermons, that I worked on them and refined them and made them better and crafted... No, it was the same sermons. But something had changed. There was life. 
There was response. There was people saved. And I'm not saying that it doesn't happen all the time here. I was amazed how God began to move. See, live churches are constantly changing, constantly morphing, constantly becoming different. Dead churches don't have to change. We can remain the same. See, as we get older, isn't it hard to change things, change routine, change your habits? Isn't it difficult for you to start something new? Because with age, change becomes more difficult. See, a dead church doesn't want to change. A dead church likes it the way that it is. I like empty church services because I have more room around me to spread out. If this church was full, that would be uncomfortable, man. That would be noisy and smelly. Can I tell you that's what revival looks like? Live churches have a bunch of noisy children jam-packed into a tiny little nursery children's church room. Every thriving church that I've been a part of, there's been nursery workers that look like their hair is falling out. That's what revival looks like. Dead churches are quiet, peaceful and calm, serene. Live churches are constantly improving, changing and and, uh, innovating to make things new for the future. Dead churches are focused on worshiping the past. Oh, wasn't it amazing when we did that thing 20 years ago? Wow, that was awesome. Let's go back to bed. (laughs) Churches that are alive move in faith, do things that sound crazy. Dead churches operate by sight. Oh, I can see this is something that we need to do. So, makes sense. Let's uh, get let's get a, the board of elders together and make a decision. Live churches focus on people and their needs. Dead churches focus only on programs and curriculum. Live churches dream great dreams of God. Dead churches are reliving old nightmares. Live church, you can stop me anytime. Live churches are filled with tithers, people who love to give. Dead churches are filled with tippers. Live churches evangelize, dead churches fossilize. The ruins of the church. I want to show this other picture, man. if you could show that. I've got another picture I want to show you. This church of Sardis in this uh, city there in Asia Minor. So they actually, they know exactly where this church is located, and we have a picture here of its ruins. And something interesting, this is, uh, this is the actual site where the church was built. This is the, the ruins of the church that Jesus wrote to right here in the foreground. But you know what's interesting is this other building that's right behind it. Do you know this large building here with all these pillars? You know what that is? Right next door? That large building with all of those pillars that was standing over the church of Sardis, that was the temple to the goddess Artemis. And in a similar way, as I've spoken about in other cities, that this was a temple where pagan worship was taking place daily. There was sacrifice to idols. There was blood spilling. There was uh, temple prostitution. All kind of wickedness happening. And guess where the church is located? Right next door. Somehow they thought it was okay that, hey, we can coexist with the wickedness that is happening right on the other side of our wall. It's okay. No big deal. We'll just fit in. Isn't it interesting? how many Christians today have the same attitude. I don't need to be separate from the world. I don't need to act different or look different or smell different. I can hang out with sinners. I can go where they go and do what they do. 
This is the mark of a dead church or a dead Christian. You know, it wasn't so long ago that this church building, uh, that our church was located right next to a homosexual bar. Now, you know, you know when, there's, when there's needs, if that's the only thing that's open, you know, I could understand, hey, you know, rent is cheap over there. But can I tell you, every time I talked to Pastor Campbell, when we first came here and we had that building, every time I talked to him, you know what he said? You know, you really ought to get out of that place. I felt like we were there. And we could have our church services on Sunday morning, but by the time Sunday night service was getting out, you know what was happening? That place was lighting up. And you ask, hey, where's the church? Where, where do you go to church at? Oh, yeah, the one that's over there by the Little Caesars. You know that place? Oh, you mean the one by the gay bar? Exactly, right next door. You know, Jesus, he came to this earth and he identified with sinners. He drew them to himself, but listen, he did not participate. He was in the world, but he was not of the world. This church in Sardis, the mark of its deadness was that they coexisted together on the same block, in the same location. They wanted diet Christianity. You know what that is? Like Christianity light. Yeah, we want the name. We want, we want everybody to, to say that we're good with the things of God, that we're, you know, we're, we're studying our Bibles and praying and we're doing all. But, you know, we don't want all the commitment. It's the mark of a dead church and a dead Christianity. Listen to the words of Christ as he begins to, to minister to them. Verse 2 says, Be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. In other words, they wanted to be Christians. They just didn't want to follow Jesus all the way. They wanted to have church services. They wanted to dress up and look nice. But uh, by the time Friday night rolls around, you wouldn't be able to tell them any different. You know, there's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of churches like that in our world today. Sinners. It's funny, sometimes, uh, you know, I'll be traveling, like last week when I was traveling, and I'll be going through places, and, you know, I'm sitting there waiting for a bus or uh, an airplane, and people, you know, strike up a conversation, and they'll, they'll always ask me, hey, so, uh, you know, what, what do you do for a living? And I'll tell I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor. Isn't it funny? It's always funny to me, how people straighten up all of a sudden, oh, <laughs> praise the Lord, minister. Thank God you're going to do the Lord's work. Just a minute before, they were telling me about, you know, some wickedness that they were doing. And all of a sudden, they straighten up. Praise the Lord. Oh, you know, I, I, saw, I saw Billy Graham on the uh, old read run on the, on the Christian station the other day. Okay. It's funny how people want to put on a show. It's, it's convenient Christianity comfortable Christianity. It's the politician who goes on the, on the campaign trail, and when it's time for them to speak in a, in a church, they're going to placate to the crowd, and they're going to talk about you know, how their family was uh, faithful members of a church for 40 years. Meanwhile, uh, they're advocating for the destruction of millions of babies in the womb. You can't put these two things together. Meanwhile, they're advocating for homosexual agenda. They go to the church and say, praise the Lord, Pastor. They don't want to follow God. They just want to talk about God. This is a dead church. And yet, what Jesus says here is that they're not completely dead. There's still a spark Look, he said, be watchful, strengthen the things which remain, those things that are ready to die. So even though we call Sardis the dead church, apparently they weren't all the way dead. They were almost dead. Like Princess Bride, you know? He's almost dead. There's still a little bit left. 
there is hope for the church in Sardis. And what is that hope tonight? It's the same hope that you and I have. If we're going to revive dead faith in our own lives, in our marriages, in our homes, in our children, in our church, in our fellowship, what is the hope? It's found in the way that he describes himself at the beginning of this letter, verse 1. These things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Jesus is said throughout these scriptures to be the one who holds the seven stars. Seven stars are a reference to the seven churches, the seven pastors of those seven churches, the leaders. So he's holding these stars in his hands. But he also says that he is holding the seven spirits of God. Some people have interpreted that to mean the seven angels who are giving the messages. But uh, more likely, what I like to, to pull from this scripture is that the seven spirits is just a perfect way of describing the Holy Spirit. The seven spirits being the Holy Spirit who is able to come into any church and bring life-giving power. The, the number seven, as you know, is a symbolic number in the scripture. It means completion or perfection, that God completed the creation of the world in seven days. The reason why we have a seven-day week is a reflection of God's perfect completion. And so the seven spirits, we could say, is the perfect, complete work of the Spirit of God in the church. Isaiah 11, verse 2 says this, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Seven things there that all describe the Holy Spirit. Now to a church that was mostly dead, Jesus comes as the one who holds the seven spirits. The one who has the Holy Ghost defibrillator. Zap him back to life. Oh, that God would put down the two paddles on this church. One on your brain and one on your rear end. And zap you back to life. Jesus wants to give us the seven spirits again. Do you remember the story, the Valley of Dry Bones? I preached that message in the, in the church there in Nigeria about the Valley of Dry Bones, prophet, how God speaks to him. You know, the Valley of Dry Bones represents the lack, the loss of hope, the loss of potential possibility, this Valley of Dry Bones. God speaks to Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? Can they live? And the prophet responds with such great faith. Ah, Lord, you know. He's, he's, uh, he's not excited. He's, he's not hopeful, but that ought to encourage us because God speaks to Ezekiel. He said, just speak to the dry bones. Prophesy to them. Speak them back into life and Ezekiel begins to prophesy. He speaks and the Bible says that the bones, there's a rattling of the bones together. And pretty soon as he's prophesying, the, the, the sinews bring the bones back together. The muscles begin to cover the bones. The skin covers. And the Bible says that at that point the bodies had been formed again. But they were still not alive. I believe God's trying to do that tonight. He's trying to see the bones rattle back together. The faith of someone's belief system tonight coming back together. The strength returning to your life for God. The skin covering, uh, covering again. All of that in the Bible says that they were still not alive. And then, you remember the story. That the four winds begin to blow. The breath of God the Spirit of God began to breathe on those dead bodies. And as that happened, that they rose back up to life 
a great and mighty army. Listen, we serve a God of resurrection tonight. Don't tell me that your faith, that, that you've done all that you're going to do for God. Don't tell me that your best days are in the past. Don't tell me that your greatest ministry is in the past. If you're here tonight, you still have life. There is still possibility and potential. There is still yet life in you. You're still breathing tonight. There's still hope. If there's hope in a church like Sardis, that there's hope for us tonight in the seven spirits of God. We are a Pentecostal church. The Holy Spirit must be active in your life if you're ever going to find life again. This church in Sardis and every single one of us here tonight, we need to follow the leadership of the Spirit of God. We need to follow His purpose. Not our passions, not our desires, not what our bodies and our minds tell us to do. To the dead church, Jesus comes as the one who holds the Spirit who gives life. Let me close by just sharing with you the exhortation that Jesus gave to this church. Again in verse 2, be watchful. Be watchful. You know another way to say be watchful? Wake up! Open your eyes. I'm going to slap you around a little bit. Wake up! You've been sleeping long enough. The church had been lulled to sleep by Satan, by the comforts of the world. They had focused on their pleasure and prestige and reputation. They said, yeah, of course, we're alive. We're a thriving church. But they had lost the true impact They'd grown complacent. And God said, the first word that He says of, uh, of instruction, He says, be watchful. Amen. How does a church become complacent? How does a Christian become complacent? You know what it means to be complacent, right? It means to be stuck in the same place. How, do we, how does that happen to you? I'll tell you how. From disobedience. When God has spoken to you to do something, and you will not do it. And right there you're going to stay. Right there you will remain. You might age, your body gets older, but your spiritual self stays right there. Stuck. Complacent. Inactive. Because of disobedience. It could be something God has told you to do, but you refuse. Or God has said, you better quit doing that. It's going to kill you. And you keep right on doing it plowing through every warning, plowing through every conviction, a conscience becomes seared and we get stuck. Right there. Sometimes for years. Decades. I see Christians who are stuck in their faith because God has spoken and you have not obeyed. This is what happened in the church in Sardis. They become complacent. They and so what happens is we begin to make up for the lack of true spiritual growth by becoming sensational Christians. Oh, I just, I just need to read the latest book. Or I just need to go to that conference and that'll wake me up. Or I just, need to, I just need to hear revival from that preacher. And when he comes, and we think that revival is something that comes from outside of ourselves, but Jesus is saying, he's saying, you need to wake up. Remember what the Lord has already said and simply obey. His words were this, listen, strengthen those things which remain, those things which are ready to die. Strengthen those things. The, the verb there in the Greek language is in the present perfect tense, which means that it's not a one-time activity. You could say it like this, be watchful and remain watchful. Strengthen those things and continue to strengthen them which remain. That our faith ought to be something that is growing, that is achieving greater and higher levels with every day that passes. The problem is that we already know this. We just simply don't do it. 
Have you ever heard someone say, I know I should go to church, but I know I should read my Bible, but I don't. I know I should be on outreach, but I don't. I know I should pray. I know I should repent. You know, you ever know somebody who does that? I know I should serve God. I know I should start ministry. And whenever someone does that or says those things, they are literally saying, God, I know what you are telling me, but I know better than you because I'm smarter than you. God, you are no longer the God of my life because I'm in control. And when I need you, Lord, I'll let you know. And no wonder, like Sardis, we find ourselves at the bottom. For those who refuse to change their ways, God has a word for you. He says, Therefore, if you will not watch, if you will not wake up, I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. The people of Sardis, this idea would hit home to them. You remember what I said about the history of this city. This city sat upon a high mountain, a citadel, a fortress. The king Croesus, the richest man of that day, he felt secure in his great fortress. But there was a Persian conqueror named Cyrus. And when he was uh, trying to uh, conquer the world, he offered a reward to the first person who was able to climb that city wall. There was one watchful soldier who observed a city guard accidentally drop his helmet over the fence. Thinking no one was watching, the guard climbed down to retrieve his helmet and carried it back. And at the moment that that soldier saw it, he knew that there must be a secret path up the hillside. It was that night that that watchful Persian soldier climbed the rocky cliff unhindered and brought a large number of fellow troops along with him. And when they reached the top, they discovered that the fortress was completely unguarded. This city was so secure, they felt themselves to be so strong that they were complacent, not even bothering to watch the walls during the night hour. When Jesus says to this people in Sardis, I will come to you in the night like a thief, they knew how that felt. I believe far too many Christians have become complacent in their faith. You know what your life is supposed to be, but you don't care anymore. The, the fence has been left unguarded. We're no longer worried about God's judgment. Do you know why in the United States of America that from the very beginning, that beginning with George Washington, our first president, this was not written in the Constitution anywhere, but when it came time for him to, uh, to become the president, they were going to inaugurate him there in New York City, he requested that they bring a Bible. They brought a Bible he put his hand on the Bible to swear the oath, the oath of office. And he pledged under God to do his job. That was nowhere required in the Constitution, but he placed his hand on that Bible. Do you know why he did that and why uh, every president since him has continued that tradition? Because at the end of this life, we're going to stand before God. And the strength of the United States has been that oath, that understanding that what I do is going to be observed by providence. Amen. That I can't just do anything that I want to do. That God is watching. That God is going to bring judgment. That's why we must stay awake and stay on guard. Peter, uh, 1 Peter 5 Verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you've fallen asleep, 
you're, you're going to be a victim. I close with this story. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus began to warn his disciples about the last days, about what life was going to look like when the last days are upon us. And you go back. I'm giving you homework tonight. Go read Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples were this. Keep watch. Again, what does that mean? Wake up! Because you do not know on which day your Lord will come. He said, understand this. If the owner of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. The Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Let me ask you. Do you expect him to come tomorrow? He's not coming tomorrow. He will come at the hour you do not expect. Suppose that the servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect. At an hour he is not aware. He will cut him to pieces. Ooh, that sounds bad. And assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, what is a hypocrite? Someone who has a reputation that does not match reality. See, this is why every church that is thriving also has one eye on the heavens, waiting for the Lord's return. See, when we lose that expectancy, when we lose that urgency that the Lord could come back at any moment, we also become complacent. We stop watching. We fall asleep. I'll just live for myself. I'll get comfortable. I'll work on my 401k. Because serving God is for young people. Serving God is for other people. Serving God is for the Norfolk Church. For other churches. Later. This is why, beloved, if we're going to avoid the future of the church of Sardis, we're going to need the Holy Spirit to renew us once again. We're going to need the spirit of revival. And we can have, we don't need to wait for some preacher to come in and preach extra services for revival to come. Did you know? We don't need that. All we need is the Holy Spirit. And we need people who will repent, who will do what Jesus encouraged the church of Sardis. He said, be watchful, strengthen the things which remain. He said, hold fast and repent. Listen. The pattern has not changed. The answer to the problem is not new. It's old. It's not the answer that's easy. It's not the formula to church growth. It is repentance. Wake up, you sleepers. Wake up and shake yourself. And be reminded that the Lord is coming so very soon. Let's get urgent. Let's allow God to wake us up once again so that we don't become a mausoleum. We don't become a dead church. We don't decline, but God can renew us once again in Jesus' name. Let's bow our heads, closing our eyes tonight, asking God to help us. Oh, I'm so thankful for this study. The church of Revelation, the church of Sardis, for the work that God has done in His church. I want to tell you that Jesus loves His church. The church is also known as the Bride of Christ. The church is loved by Jesus. And His intention is not to destroy, but is to redeem. His intention tonight is not to cut down but to build up. It says that Jesus, when He comes, the ministry that Jesus has is that He would not break a bruised reed, that He would not snuff out a smoking wick.
And tonight, even when it looks like there's no hope, even when it looks like a person has no faith, has no more potential, even when it looks like a church is on the decline, I want to tell you that there is still hope in God. There is still hope in the One who holds the seven spirits in His hands. There is still hope tonight. If there be someone who would hear His voice and obey His command. And before we close this service tonight, I wonder if someone's here who's not right with God. And you be honest for just a moment. You say, Pastor, I'm not right with God. My sins are destroying me. I don't want to be that one, that wicked servant who said, oh, the Lord is afar off and He's going to be delayed in coming back, so I'll just do what I want to do, live how I want to live. And what was the word that Jesus said? He will be cut to pieces to a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's heavy tonight. This is one who called himself a servant. This is one who was trusted by the Lord, by the Master. And tonight I wonder if God has spoken to you, God has challenged you in your faith and say, Pastor, I don't know, I'm not sure if I'm right with God. Well, make it sure tonight. Make it sure. The way that we make it sure tonight is by faith. Same way that you got saved in the first place. You came to an altar and you repented of your sins and you cried out to the God who had mercy on you. And I wonder if there's someone here that needs that this evening. I I would love to pray with you. If God's moving on your heart, would you lift up your hand so I can see it? Is there someone here? Being honest, thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Someone else, God's speaking to you, backslidden in your heart. Listen, the church in Sardis didn't start out dead. But it had come to that place through time in a backslidden. To be backslidden does not mean that there's no hope. In fact, God says, I am married to the backslider. I'm committed. I'm covenant relationship with those who have fallen behind in their faith. Could it be tonight that you need restoration? I want to see if there's someone here tonight, you'd say, that's me. You found me, Pastor. I'm right here and I need salvation. Is there anyone else who you'd slip up your hand so I can see it? I want to pray with you. Being honest before the Lord. Is there anyone else? Quickly, quickly tonight. Thank God for His mercy. If you lifted your hand, would you do me one more thing, one more favor? You'd stand up to your feet and you'd come forward so we can pray with you. Pray with you right here at this altar. Let's be honest with the Lord. Let's allow Him, once again, to renew us in our faith. I need a man to come and pray. Brother Joe over here. Let's believe God tonight. I want to speak to a church that is complacent. I'm not saying this is true of every single individual, but I believe that there are some lessons in this church this letter that was written to the church of Sardis that we can hear tonight, that we can learn from. And if you have not heard the voice of God tonight, then there's not much I can do to help you. I've heard from God tonight as I've read His Scriptures, studied His Word. The church in Sardis was crippled. It was on its last legs. It's the dead church, but yet there was still life in it. The call that Jesus made to this church was wake up, repent. And tonight, I wonder if there's anyone here, you've heard that word. Maybe it is tonight the true, like it was true in the, in the church of Sardis, Could it be that the reputation doesn't match reality? That the image that you're putting forward in church is different from the reality of who you are when you go home. When you're alone. When you're at work. When you're in the car. When nobody's watching. 
What Jesus wants to do tonight is He wants to bring renewal. He wants His church to thrive. Not to become a monument or a mausoleum, but to be a movement. I believe God is speaking to us tonight. Can we stand to our feet? We're going to sing a song of worship tonight. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Oh.